0: hd H-D-3, Bremerton, Seattle. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hello, I'm Carol Marley Klein, your host for Streetwise Spirituality. Our topic here is life, and nothing is off the table, not arguments, heartbreak, or disappointment. We'll work together here to get a handle on all the stuff that stirs us up and spits us out. Maybe down deep you think, my job determines my value. I'm only as good as I look. I'll be safe if I keep on smiling. Or that old favorite, security is a warm partner. Or maybe you keep chasing perfection, judging others and yourself, wondering why life hurts so much. Stay with me as we bring a spiritual perspective down to earth on Streetwise Spirituality for Contact Talk Radio. Eliza Dalian's energy is powerful, sparkling, cool, and compassionate. When her book first arrived in the mail, though, I didn't know that. I stared at the cover of In Search of the Miraculous. It proclaimed that it was the recipient of seven book awards. Deepak Chopra's testimonial was on the cover. Now, as attracted as I am to Buddhist thinking, I wondered, what could this woman have possibly written that's new? Hasn't it all been said before? And in my ignorance, I asked, just who is Mata Dalian?" I put the book aside for a few days to let my mind settle down. I wanted to connect with her at an unspoken, deeper level. And what I found in meditation was this calm, broad river of wisdom, embodied in this woman, Maradalian, a river that was moving through space and time. To help currently incarnated people figure out what life is all about. To teach people how to take the hard road to their own growth and enlightenment. I don't have a lot of faith in people who tell us simply to rise above our experiences on this planet. People who won't get their feet wet or their hands dirty. Madadalian, however, is willing to do both. She speaks of the importance of being an observer in our lives, of detaching ourselves from what keeps us reincarnating over and over. But at the same time, she speaks of being a full participant in life as well, of feeling our feelings rather than denying them. In other words, we are to know love and joy and pain and suffering. In fact, We cannot know love and joy without having experienced pain and suffering. But, she says, we do not have to continue sleepwalking through our days. Mara Dalian teaches practical skills to help us open our eyes, our minds, our hearts, and connect to spirit. Mara lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. You can find out more about her book, her healing method, her teaching, and her online courses. At www.madadalian.com. That's M A D A D A L I A N. Welcome, Mada.
1: Hello, Carol. Sweet Carol. Thank you very much for your beautiful introduction.
0: <laughs> oh, you're most welcome. You mentioned in the book that you lost any fear of death at the age of five when your grandfather died, and you realized that he wasn't really dead at all, and that none of us died. We just kind of recycled. But your family didn't respond well when you tried to explain it to them. And how did that make you feel?
1: Well, you know, there are so many steps to losing the fear of death or understanding the fear of death. Um, at, at the age of five, um, actually, I couldn't even communicate what I was experiencing, but what I did experience is... Uh, witnessing my grandfather's death uh, allowed me to start asking the question to myself that, well, one day I'm going to be dying as well and every one of us will because obviously my grandfather was here and he lived his life and he died and I don't know where he's going now so I'm going to also uh, be here for a while and then I'll die and I want to know who I am, where I come from where, where would I go So, in a sense, um, uh, there was a part of me that lost that psychological fear of death. Yes. However, in years to come, when I um, started to meditate, then I started to experience the actual physical fear of death, which is very much connected with the ego identity. Mm. And this this is the... The, the true feeling of, uh, or the fear of death that we have to come to, because many people um, have come to an understanding that this is not the end and uh, we will still survive after we die. And they say, well, I'm not afraid of death. And this is true on a psychological level, mm-hmm. but in, in uh, physically and spiritually, there is another step that we need to go through and that's the step of feeling and experiencing that fear of survival and death physically which has nothing to do with the mind it's it's part of the body that is actually programmed to survive it's part of the ego that is programmed to keep itself alive. And that's the last barrier that we have to take the courage to face and to go through in order to be fully liberated.
0: Oh, that sounds like a tremendous
1: challenge. Um, You know, it is a challenge, but at the same time, if we look at the challenge as an opportunity, then it wouldn't be um, looking so dreadful or difficult. Then there would be a sense of excitement to find out what's what's on the other side i want to know yes <laughs> something else that occurred to me most of us go through this
0: sort of a victim phase and we feel that the bad stuff that happens to us is other people's fault how old were you when you first figured out that you were the creator of your own
1: life uh, that's that's an interesting question i think uh, what what really forced me to start understanding that is the 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 time when my parents uh, separated or divorced. That's where I started asking a little bit more serious questions about life. and And scientists say, and some research has been done on this, they say that children of broken families have very high iQs. This is really interesting because normally we think, well, it's really not a good idea for par- parents to separate. It's not good for children and it's going to hurt them and harm them, etc. But what happens, and I've come across many other people who've gone through broken families, so to speak, and I, I've seen their intelligence. The reason this is so is because... When suddenly the parents are not there and you're not taking them for granted, suddenly you're left on your own to figure out things about life. Yes. And, uh, you know, interesting, I, I even remember once I worked with this um, uh, 10-year-old girl. I do work with children as well. And when her mother brought me, um, brought, brought her to me... Um, She was, um, her parents had been divorced for probably a couple of years, and she was emotionally going through a very difficult time, and as a result, she was giving a hard time to her mother as well. Mm -hmm. And the father was visiting sometimes, not visiting, not picking her up sometimes, and she was really, really very upset, both with the mother and the father. And when I worked with her, and once she came to realize and this is all about consciousness once she became conscious that actually her father is not mature enough to be able to um take the responsibility of being a parent yes and she saw that actually he is like a child himself that understanding allowed her to release her anger her sadness her you know, um, expectations and accept the father as he is without really keeping the charge, that emotional charge. So this child at such a young age was able to actually become conscious and see this, that we all go through life. uh, Life is an opportunity for us to learn and to develop and to transform into greater consciousness. And some people are, more understanding and they're a little bit more ahead. And some people are still, you know, in that um, phase of uh, development. They're in a the school start trying to learn and do things for themselves. So with that understanding, obviously, this child is going to have a lot easier life growing up.
0: Yes, with that, that perspective, the depth of the perspective.
1: That's right. Instead of blaming the father, the mother, or, or feeling that she has done something wrong. So this is very, very important for children, well, for, for adults, to come to that consciousness, because consciousness is also self-empowering. The moment we become conscious of something, we immediately see that we have the power to create our life the way we want.
0: Absolutely. Now you characterize your book, In Search of the Miraculous, as a kind of map. What were you trying to accomplish with that map?
1: Yes, what what I was trying to do for seven years as I was working on this book, I was trying to create um, um, a, a way, a path that people can follow. Simply because when I was on my journey trying to find my way and trying to, uh, you know, find that center through the maze of the thoughts and emotions and all the conditionings and the beliefs and um, things that I thought I knew and um, trying to find this thing called enlightenment somewhere there and always feeling frustrated that I'm not getting anywhere. um, I had to go through the process of discovery and it was a little bit difficult not having that map. Even though I would hear... Uh, the teachings, I would you know, resonate with everything um, and um, I would grow spiritually and mentally and um, be educated about many things. But somewhere, that internal struggle, we're, we're always alone with our own internal struggle. Yes. And we we'll always look for someone who can actually guide us to take us out of that struggle. And this book is like a map that would be a guide, even though there's, there might not be, you know, um, a physical guide. This book alone, uh, th- this was my intent to, to create this kind of a map that the book can help people recognize where they are and also understand that there are steps to be taken until we come to the full self-realization and a full awakening and liberation.
0: Yes. Well, we will be talking about some of those steps after the break. I'm Carol Marley Klein for Streetwise Spirituality on Contact Talk Radio. Dalin's best-selling book is In Search of the Miraculous, available at Amazon. Back soon. Glad to have you with us. This is Streetwise Spirituality for Contact Talk Radio, and I'm your host, Carol Marley Klein. We're talking with Mana Dalian, author of In Search of the Miraculous. And before the break, we were discussing the fact that her book is a kind of map, and now we're going to talk about some of the steps that she put into it. So, Mana, you provide seven paths to surrender, as you call it.
1: What must we surrender, and what must we accept? Oh, goodness. Um, acceptance and surrender go go hand in hand. We cannot really surrender to anything unless we start to accept it first. And surrendering, I call it surrendering to what is. In other words, life is the greatest teacher. And when we resist to life, when we resist to what uh, what life brings us, That's how we miss the lessons that we can learn, that we need to learn. And we also at the same time miss the opportunity to enjoy our life fully. So surrendering to what is means whatever is happening in your life, whatever ups and downs are happening, um, accept it and surrender to whatever is happening. Like in the Zen, they say um, isness or suchness. And um, that by surrendering, we're surrendering to the greater force that knows what's good for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, things like our mind perceives something as good or bad. And because we perceive something as good or bad, then we we make choices and the mind stays in control. And if something happens that does not agree with, with our conditioning or belief to what's good, then we would um, deny it and we would uh, reject it and as a result miss an opportunity to learn what the circumstance is giving us, what it's bringing us. For example, if somebody does something and um, it triggers an emotional response within us, Instead of looking at what's happening within us as a result of what happens around us, we immediately come into a judgment. Either we reject something, or we try escaping from something. So we—that's um, we, how we miss all these opportunities. And another thing we or very often do: we judge and we blame, and. Instead of judging and blaming what we need to do and say, okay, this is happening, I accept what is happening, and let me look inside to see why do I feel the way I do. And in that state of acceptance, we automatically are surrendering to the situation and saying, I Will allow whatever is happening to help me to see something about myself and learn something about myself because life is ultimately a teacher. We wouldn't need to be incarnated and live in this physical reality if there were no lessons for us to learn.
0: Very true. But our fears keep coming up and we stumble over them.
1: That's right. And the fear is one of the greatest stumbling blocks.
0: Indeed. What are those seven paths you talk about and why did you choose them?
1: I tried to divide, um, divide the many phases. I, I divided the phases of ego's development into seven. I also um, simultaneously with that included the path of surrender as seven um, into seven stages because... In each stage, um, I worked with or I tried to bring in the awareness of how the ego and consciousness would develop in each chakra. So those seven stages are connected with A, with the seven main seven energy points in the body. They're also connected with the seven stages of life that we go through, starting with childhood and, um, you know, the teenager, the adult, the -hmm. young adult, adult, and those seven-year cycles that we go through. And every cycle has its own lessons. So, for example, a child is born, and um, the moment the child is born – Gradually, the ego starts developing, and the child's consciousness develops simultaneously in a way that the child recognizes, okay, uh, I exist. The moment the child feels that I exist, and I'm separate, and everybody else around me is um, actually providing for my sustenance, because that's the first impression of a child. Mm -hmm. The parents are looking after the child. Everybody's, you know, um, trying to take care of the child. So the child would cry and the parents would um, come running to take care. The child would be crying when when the child is hungry. So then the ego starts developing and starts thinking that I am the center of the universe, so everybody (laughs) has to serve me. Of course. Uh, So that's the first stage of of the the ego's development. And in order to to, um, grow to the next stage, the child starts exploring their own body. That's the first thing that the the child would explore. And many times what we do in our society when we see a child exploring their body, we, um, we condemn it as something bad because the religions say that it's not uh, appropriate, and we stop the child's exploration of themselves. And when we stop the first phase of exploration, then we create a, a certain hole in the ego that needs to develop to get stronger. Once something is explored, then the child would move to the next phase of exploring their emotions, exploring their mind. But because the body has not been allowed to be explored, then... Uh, the body continues growing, but emotionally, the people remain childish in a way because their their uh, state of exploration of their physical body hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So that's why, in the first stages of surrendering, uh, I tie that in with surrendering to your sexuality. Yes, because surrendering to your sexuality is connected with. The exploration of the body, right? And
0: how do we understand like where sexual desire comes from, and how can we respond to it in the
1: healthiest way? Well, the the body is made to feel the desire, automatically, and the, we, we will not have life. The life will cease to exist if we didn't have sex. So sex is part of physical existence. Mm-hmm. There would be no animals, you True. know, continuing their existence and there would be no human species continuing their existence. So that's the first, uh, the first basic, uh, thing that existence and imagine how miraculous that is that the body is, is, um, done or, or made in such a, such a way that it would feel that desire. Otherwise, there'll be no procreation of life. Right. If we wouldn't feel the desire, why should we go and want to have sex? So there's that urge, the lust, the initial uh, uh, need for that sexual union starts there. But it's a very basic, basic step. In uh, India, there, there are te- temples um, in a place called Kajraho, and those are tantric temples, and they're very beautiful. And and there's a lot of wisdom in those temples. And what the temples depict outside the temples, there are seven, um, sort of like almost like broken down into seven um, uh, areas mm-hmm. as, as we go up from the bottom from the from the foundation up. And the the first layer. Um, and and the the whole temple is carved with figures with men women uh, making love That different figures like this yeah mm-hmm. yes. statues and on the bottom level you you see the um a very sort of uh, animalistic very basic uh positions, and you even see sometimes sculptures where uh, men and animals are are um having sex together. Mm-hmm. And, and then you go to the next layer, which then it's, it's uh, ma- men and women are making love, but still you can tell from the statues they're more roughly carved and there's no grace in mm-hmm. that action, or, uh, in, in the lovemaking. So that's the part of, you know, that, that uh, uh, raw need. Okay, well, I, I feel this need, I need to satisfy it. And I don't care if I'm going to, you know, if somebody feels like it or they don't feel like it. This is the this is the layer where many times people um, have acted in an abusive way. Yes. Toward their, you know, their their children or toward children or even, you know, towards adults. So this is a very second layer, very basic and very, in a way, it's, It's. I would say, like, not, not very human, mm-hmm. still very animalistic. Then right. you go higher to the next level, uh, the third chakra, which is more, you feel there's more power in it, but there's more connectedness as well. So, uh, it's not... Uh, entirely animalistic there's a little bit more of an emotion involved there Mm -hmm. and you could see that in the faces of the statues as you go higher to the fourth level which is the heart chakra level uh, sex almost starts disappearing and even though the two figures are are joined together in different positions there's more connectedness you could feel the heart connection There you could feel the more intimacy and the um, you know emotional connection mm-hmm. and it's very one beautiful that you can actually see this in the sculptures that's why they've done such a tremendous work and and the, the tantric temples i think they're 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 like a jewel for the whole humanity to mm. to appreciate and to learn from and then as you go higher almost like you could tell that sexuality drops and you could feel each person as an individual, but they're, in a sense, even though they're appreciating and enjoying each other through physical um, sexual positions, but you could tell that each person is an an individual and there is more equality between them. Mm -hmm. So, um, And then as as we go higher, there's that state of, and a bliss that, that you can see on the faces. Mm-hmm. It, and this is where we, um, uh, we need to do understanding and going through those steps. And we need to obviously surrender to our basic needs in order to be able to go higher. And we need to surrender to our uh, inner power. Yes. In order to move higher we need to surrender to what our heart wants what what uh, our heart wants to express and receive because we we hold that back too we hold back on everything we we just repress everything we feel or think it's true <laughs> we do <laughs> and and to surrender to those things mean basically this is what it means surrendering to what you're feeling be be authentic be true mm-hmm. and through uh, the action of being authentic and true and expressing exactly what we feel is how we transcend one lower um, chakra, one lower level, and we move higher into a higher uh, state of consciousness. And we move our vibrations into a higher state of existence as well. And then, of course, we come to uh, the heart where we all, as as humanity, are starved for connection in the heart this is where so much attention is being put right now and this is where uh, you know a lot of um, the words like oneness and um, connectedness so uh, many people are searching for that but we don't realize that in order to come to that authentic place of living in the heart we need to first of all Um, see why we're not living in the heart. What is preventing us from not living in the heart? Obviously, what's preventing us is all our suppressed emotions Mm. and all our judgments and our conditionings that are blocking us from being able to freely express because there's fear of how people would judge me. Uh, Would I be accepted? Uh, I don't want to be rejected. I want to belong. So therefore, I cannot tell what I truly feel because the society will not accept it. People will not accept it. Religion says this is not good. So all those judgments prevent us from actually living and being in our heart and, and obviously also prevent us from being in our authentic individual self and finding our inner power and truth, which is to do with, with our throat chakra, the, the fifth center. Oh, that's a lot to
0: take in and (laughs) a lot to think about. (laughs) I think what we'd better do now is take a break so that we can come back and talk with you more. This is Contact Talk Radio. I'm Carol Marley Klein, and this is Streetwise Spirituality. Talking with Mada Dalian, who wrote In Search of the Miraculous. I'm Carol Marley Klein for Streetwise Spirituality on Contact Talk Radio. So, Mada, how do we surrender to the second path, to life?
1: Good question. This is probably one of the hardest things. Um, once we surrender to uh, the life, things become a little bit easier. And what I mean by surrendering to life, it means that, first of all, to, to um, understand how we emotionally react to the fear of survival. So many times when we feel that um, my survival is, is, is at risk, even though we don't necessarily mentally understand that this is what we're feeling, but our actions show it when we feel that I need to compete with somebody. Mm -hmm. Because the competition, if we look at the animal kingdom, there's always that competition to who's going to, who is stronger. So the strongest, the fittest survive. Yes. And that's, Something in our unconsciousness, uh, part of our cosmic unconscious, would I call it, that, that because before coming into a human form, we have experienced other forms and other animal lives, that memory is still in our body. And the body is always made of that instinct, uh, the instinct to survive. And part of that instinct is, Uh, The the natural law, the fittest is going to survive, is what unconsciously makes us compete with other people, thinking that I need to be strong and I need to survive. So when situations arise that, uh, you, you know, and especially in our society, we're so much focused on competitiveness. Even, you know, all these reality shows on television, they're all there to show somebody competing against somebody, somebody gets left out, somebody becomes a winner, and um, it creates, obviously, you know, an interest because everybody uh, is experiencing that within themselves without even knowing that they're experiencing mm-hmm. them yes. within themselves in real life. So that's, that's, that, that's where the jealousies arise, so um, I need to keep my mate and he cannot look at anybody. He cannot talk to anybody mm. or she cannot talk to anybody. And this is where people get really possessive and um, start acting in a very animalistic way, very unconscious way. So this is that second chakra work that needs to happen very, very seriously uh, in order for us to, as a society, to move higher. And in my work, what I what I experienced is many, many people, uh, and probably I could say probably uh, everybody, at some time or other has experienced lower back pain, mm. and some people have have experienced it very severely or do experience it very severely, and no medication helps. And they, they're really puzzled, and the doctors are puzzled. Well, the body looks normal, but why is this pain there? The pain is very much there because the people haven't really understood that what they need to do in order to to release that pain and let the energy move, basically all the pain means that the energy is stuck in the body. Mm. There is a block in the body that's not help not, not allowing for energy to move higher. And um, normally what it is, it's very much to do with survival, very much to do with worrying, with um, not trusting, with thinking that I have to do something in order to survive. I have to, uh, you know, that expression, which is very common in business, the cutthroat competition. Yes and in business of course you have to compete in order to to come ahead and because we're so materially oriented and business has been so in such a prevalent thing and having money has been such a focus uh, we're very much stuck in the second chakra and if you take money out of circulation then we we very quickly and very uh, automatically, uh, very naturally will start coming into a higher higher chakras naturally without much struggle. So and I think somewhere we're heading there. We're heading to a place where money will will be taken out of circulation altogether. Mm-hmm. And that's how people lived before the money was invented. And yeah. they lived more in peace and in balance.
0: Mm. That brings up some very interesting thoughts. It would be quite a different life. I, it would, it's hard for me to imagine.
1: And, you know, all we need is we just need shelter and food, and that's all we need. <laughs> that's we, true. You know, we don't need, like, um, palaces to feel happy. We don't need, um, you know, um, tons of uh, food in a storage to be happy. And, and, and Earth provides everything. And uh, natives here always lived this way mm-hmm. in North America, on on the planet anywhere. They've always lived in balance, in harmony with with existence, with with the Earth, and Earth Earth has always provided. So, and these native, which we call primitive, you know, savages, quote unquote, actually have the key. They have the wisdom to life, which in in uh, uh, you know, through the Western eyes, we have seen or have not seen and therefore destroyed. Right. And in a way, we're coming back to that. I think even if you look at what's happening in uh, the world right now and everything is breaking down. And just imagine for a moment, Alexander the Great, who had conquered half the world. Mm-hmm. And he he left saying, I, I leave empty handed mm-hmm. and unfulfilled. Yes, and, and just imagine for a moment if people who have this, um, you know, riches or, or even normal people who have things that they, they're identified with suddenly lose everything. Is that the end of the world? It's not,
0: but they often think it is.
1: That's exactly right. It's the thought that it is. It's the identification that I need this in order to be safe. Mm-hmm. And it, that's the illusion that if I have money or I have a house, you know, um, I have a car and I have a, a savings account, then I'm safe. But really, this is just an illusory um, safety. There is no safety in any of this because it could be taken away. As we see now, the um, existence and what's happening in the world is showing us suddenly, uh, you know, there's a tsunami. And suddenly, what was there 10 minutes ago is no longer there. That's right. And what, what would that uh, do for us? What it does is actually wakes us up.
0: It does. I remember the story of one family in Japan, and the wife said, you know, the tsunami took everything, took our house, took our cars, but it left us. We have yeah. each other, and now we know what's important.
1: That's right. And Japan has been such a beautiful example to the world. Yes. And especially the way they handled everything.
0: Right. They don't rage against other people or they try to work together. has been very impressive.
1: That's right. And, and also Japan is a very advanced culture. Yes. And uh, also the, the earthquake happened in, uh, in Haiti. And we saw pictures how people were, uh, you know, almost shoving each other in order to get to that um, um, bottle of water. Right. And how the truck would just leave without delivering what it brought to deliver because people were fighting with each other. Yeah. And how people in Japan were lined up to get to there. And if if they're, when they came to, um, their turn and, and there was no more water, they had to wait.
0: Mm.
1: And they had no problem with it. So so I think th- these are the contrasts that we see now. And these are the contrasts between our, within our own selves, within our own chakra system. Yes. So we're not different. What's happening outside is precisely what's happening inside. And we need to look at outside as a mirror to see, okay, how am I behaving? How would I behave in a situation like this? What would I do?
0: One of the things you mentioned in the book interested me. You said we create difficulties for ourselves by wishing things were different or trying to fight against or manipulate externals. And you mentioned some about why we do this. But how can we work with the the urge to live like that, to, to want things to be other than what they are?
1: Well, first of all, it's it's we need to understand why we think a certain way, why we feel a certain way. In order for that understanding to happen, this is what I discovered, and that's why um, I'm I'm very excited about the Dalian method that I'd like to share with the world. Is what it does basically starts from the place of saying, okay, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, is absolutely okay. You don't have to fight with what you're thinking or feeling. So you start with actually expressing what are you feeling and thinking. And the thing is that many times people don't even know that they have all these repressed thought forms everywhere in their body. So this method works with releasing what's in the body repressed, the thought forms and the emotions, and starting with absolute acceptance. Unconditional acceptance and without any judgment. Releasing those thought forms. The moment those thought forms and beliefs are released, because everything in the body is based on our past experiences and the conclusions we've made about those experiences. Those conclusions are the beliefs that we carry like a big bag on our shoulders, thinking that, you know, we have a precious um, cargo but that's what's really preventing us from being free and living in the moment. So first, we we um, unleash what's been repressed. We start peeling away all those layers, and the layers are, for example, um, you have an experience where you want. We want to say something you want to express yourself but do you think okay well if i say this i'm going to be criticized i might be ridiculed so i better not say it and we start doing that from our very childhood actually because we know that there's there's that intuitive sense that the child has that um, i need to do what the adults want me to do in order for them to um, take care of me yes so the child knows that my survival depends on the adults and I have to do what they ask me to do. And because with generation after generation, we haven't really learned to respect children, we have missed the wisdom that they bring us. Mm-hmm. And and then we have to go through this difficult process, a long process of rediscovering our wisdom that we bring, our gifts that we bring, so we could start actually living them. <laughs>
0: Very true. So you were also yeah. talking about the importance of remaining actively involved instead of going passive when we're surrendering to life. Can you give an example?
1: To be actively involved is to to say whatever is happening, I'm not going to Allow that to bring me down. In other words, I'm not going to take a passive attitude of thinking I'm a victim, mm-hmm. of of thinking that I want to escape. I don't want to deal with this because that's an easier route. Yes. Uh, the active way would be to say, "Okay, I'm feeling, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling I'm all alone. I'm feeling nobody loves me. Let me see why do I feel this way, mm-hmm. and and why do I." try to bring myself into a little hole, thinking that I'm all alone and nobody loves me. Because that's the part of the wounded ego that feels I haven't received nourishment. So what we need to learn to do is we need to learn to start nourishing ourselves. Yes. Taking the responsibility for how we feel and say that, you know what, I am not a child anymore, I'm an adult, and I can actually take care of my own inner child. Yes.
0: And it's so exciting when you finally realize that.
1: <laughs> that's right. And that's why we need to, this is this is what makes, you know, it's, it's in a way, if we can save our children this trouble of going through the same process we have con- gone, and if we can start educating our children to find their inner truth and their power and be free to express it early on, then... They would not carry the diseases that we have. they will not accumulate the layers mm-hmm. um, of sadness and pain and suffering that we have accumulated and had to go through and, and, and you know go backwards and clear and heal. That's why I call the process healing into consciousness. Yes um, they would just bring that consciousness and and bring the joy. Of living their potential and their gifts early on because the reason there is lack of joy uh, in our lives and in our society is because people have not found and lived their purpose Mm. if people had they would not feel bad when somebody else is living their purpose and it's really interesting if we pay attention when somebody's um, ill or somebody's dying, or somebody had an accident, suddenly we all become loving and caring. And we give attention to that person. But if this person is doing really well, and they're very successful, and they're doing really uh, well in their life, living fully the way they want to live, and they're celebrating their life, we don't feel so loving and compassionate uh, toward that person. On the contrary, we go, well... Why is is she so happy? I should, you know, try and uh, stop her from being happy. Why is he celebrating? Why is he having fun and I'm not? But the moment that person will will fall ill, suddenly you'll feel, oh, okay, well, now I have an upper hand because that person is not fully in their uh, power and they need me. So Mm, yes, those are the emotions that we need to start understanding within ourselves so that we stop manipulating so that we stop feeling that we're not enough
0: there is so much that i know you could talk about and we haven't gone anywhere near all the questions that i had but one thing i would like us to be able to talk about to have you discuss is how the breath can help us to surrender to life
1: breath is an absolute key and Um, If you can just even experiment with breath, you'll see how the breath is. For example, if you're feeling afraid, just a simple thing to take a breath and bring the awareness and the breath into the second chakra, which is a couple inches below the navel. Just by focusing the awareness and bringing it with the breath down in the second chakra, suddenly the fear would disappear. So um, same, same way, working with uh, pain, for example, if we bring the breath in to the area where the pain is, suddenly there is more centeredness that happens. And as a result of centeredness coming into the center, there is uh, a distance between the fear and the pain mm. or, or, or uh, the grief or the judgment or whatever. So that's why the meditation, that well, the key for meditation is watching the breath.
0: Right. One of the things you mentioned is that we can do it any time and any place. That's
1: right. (laughs) That's right.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. We are running out of time, and I'd like to thank you for being on the show, Mada.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Carol. As you said, there's so much to talk about, but, uh, well... We do what we can in a small, one hour. Indeed.
0: You're a very, very wise woman. You'll find Mada's book, In Search of the Miraculous, on Amazon. Next week, we'll talk with David Emerald, a man who uses the drama triangle of victim, rescuer, and persecutor to describe a more evolved way of looking at life. His method is simple, elegant, and extremely practical. I expect you'll be thinking about it for days after the program. Also, please remember, I've got the first 50 pages of my book, Streetwise Spirituality, up on my website at streetwisespirituality.org, free. Take a look. Let me know what you think at cmk at streetwisespirituality.org. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Until next time, make more sense out of life with a spiritual perspective. There's good work to be done, and you're the one to do it. I'm Carol Marley Klein for Streetwise Spirituality at Contact Talk Radio.